What I'd like uh, you to do is turn to 2 Peter 1 this morning. And we're going to spend some time talking about the truth of God. I want to say first how good it is to be back. Uh, Every time it's good to be back. I continue to pray for you. Uh, Paul mentioned in Colossians that there was a, a fellow named Epaphras who worked with him who prayed for the peop- the groups that he was working with and he prayed that they would that they would stand perfect fully assured in all the will of God and what he was talking about is he prayed that they would stand and not stumble in their Christian walk and perfection has to do with maturity so he was praying that they would go on to maturity and they would grow up to be like Christ which is what Christ wanted for them and he prayed that they would be fully assured in all the will of God concerning them. In other words, that they would affirm their life day by day as God brought it to them and uh, simply work that out with the Lord and figure out day by day, regardless of what happened, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, how can I respond in a way that glorifies God and produces spiritual maturity in me? And as I pray for you, uh, that's what I pray for you, that that those things would be happening in your life. And so, as well as I can... Uh, I used to be here for some time, and as well as I can, I want to continue that partnership with you as you go on and grow up uh, to be like the Lord, and uh, I can support you in that way. But there are very real choices to be made, as you know, uh, on your part. We can partner together, uh, but you have control as far as making the choices in your own life. And what I want to look at this morning is the truth of God, how, how fortunate we are to have it, and how critically important it is to obey it. Peter, in Second Peter, raised this issue. And he raised the issue because the church was new, and there was heresy uh, coming, and he could see it coming. There was a philosophical heresy called Gnosticism. And we won't spend a lot of time talking about Gnosticism, because that's not my point. But it was a threat to the church because Gnosticism was a... a political position that said there's a real separation between our physical selves and our spiritual selves, okay? The, the things of the earth, our physical bodies and, and the things of the earth are really not significant. They were basically no consequence. But spiritual things were of great consequence. And so the heresy was that people divided in their own mind how they conducted themselves physically and how they conducted themselves spiritually. So, anyway, long story short, Gnosticism said you could live an absolutely immoral life, do anything that you could imagine physically, and it really had no effect on your spiritual life. As long as you maintained a, uh, a good positive attitude toward God, you could have a positive relationship with God. You could take the position that God and I are buddies. I mean, he doesn't bother me and I don't bother him, but we're basically okay. And uh, the position was that, uh, you know, that you could pursue your spiritual life that way and which is absolutely contrary to the gospel that, uh, that we know from the scriptures. Absolutely contrary. So it threatened the church, and Peter, in Second Peter, wrote that this is coming. This is coming, and you want to be very, very careful not to pay attention to that and not to conduct yourself that way, but conduct yourself according to the way scripture says we ought to. Okay? So that's why Second Peter was written. Now, uh, by way of introduction... Let me take you to Psalm 115, and we're going to spend just a second there. I want to make a, just make a point from Psalm 115, and then we'll move into 2 Peter. Psalm 
Psalm 115 is a psalm that recognizes God for who he is and compares him, very briefly, to other gods. Scripture takes the position... Well, let's read the psalm, and then we'll look at the position that Scripture takes. Psalm 115, we'll read the first eight verses. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory, because of thy loving kindness, because of thy truth. Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. So the psalmist said, This is what our God is like. He lives in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Now let's look at the, the gods that, that the other nations have created. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. Now, the point the psalmist is making is this, that the Scripture plainly says that the God that we know is not the only God that exists in this world. Because nations make gods, they make idols, that's what we're looking at right here. But God is called the God of gods, the Lord is called the Lord of lords. And the scripture is very plain, in this portion as well, in in telling us that our God is the only God who is alive, the only God who is completely powerful and in control. And by comparison, these other gods, the idols, they can't even do what we do. They have mouths, but they can't talk. They have legs, but they can't walk. We're alive. The gods that people make for themselves are not alive. Okay, they're dead. But yet, people have confidence in those. And the psalmist is just glorifying the name of the Lord for two reasons. He says, because of his loving kindness and because of his truth. God loves us, and he's given us his truth. And what I want to talk with you about today is the fact that it's, it's, we are so fortunate to have the truth of God and not to be blind and lost like people who make their own gods and worship them and have some confidence in them that they can do something. The scripture says they can't do anything. So we are so fortunate to know God and to have his truth. We become like what we follow. And the verse 8 here says, those who make the gods out of wood and silver and so on, the idols, will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. And it is true that we become like what we follow. And that's why it's so critically important that we obey the truth of God. Okay, so with that as an introduction, let's take a look at Second Peter 1. We're going to look at the first 12 verses and see what Peter has to say. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, 
and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And the last verse, verse 12, Therefore I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So Peter was reminding the people to whom he was writing of things that they already knew. And he was reminding them because it's easy for us over a period of time to forget what we've seen. So what we've said so far is this. We looked at a psalm that talked about the fact that we can create our own gods. And and in this culture, we're too sophisticated for that. We don't go home and spend a little time on the wood lathe and and, uh, do a little metal work and so on and put together an idol and bow down to that idol. We don't do that in our culture. In some cultures, they do. But we tend to think more in terms of Africa and Asia and so on, people who do that. Now, it's possible for us, though, to create our own god. Because, uh, you'll hear people say, uh, in our culture, you know, well, my God wouldn't send people to hell. My God wouldn't require me to love my enemy. And that's probably true. You can agree with that. Yeah, you can say, yeah, probably your God would not do that. Because they have created a God in their own mind. Okay? We're too sophisticated to do it with wood and silver, but we can very easily do it if we're not careful in our own mind. So to the extent that we know scripture but decide not to comply with it, we're getting into dangerous ground there uh, when we just don't obey what we know to obey about God. We're getting into the business of creating our own God in our image, and that's not the business we want to be in. And Peter explains that it's critically important to be obedient to the truth of God and to hang on to the truth of God because we, are, we become like who we follow. And if we have an accurate knowledge of God, and we're obedient to that, then we'll become like him. And that's what he has in mind for us. He saved us from our sin, gave us a spiritual life, and wants us to grow up to be like him. So, that's why it's critically important to know uh, what the Bible says and to be obedient to the truth of God. Now, the book of Jude, which we won't turn to this morning, was written a little bit after 2 Peter. 2 Peter was written just before Peter's death, uh, about A.D. 66. His death was coming soon, and he knew that. And he, he could see this Gnosticism ha- beginning to have an effect. This was something that was coming that would affect the church and destroy some of the people who were in the church. So he wrote this detailed book, not very long, but fairly detailed, about false teaching and what Gnosticism was going to be doing to the church, and he warned the people about it. And Jude, uh, Jude was written a little bit later, uh, 70 or 80 A.D., about 4 to 14 years later. And Gnosticism had become a reality. People were having problems with this. The church was struggling with this, this, this philosophical position. And it was affecting people in the church, Christians. 
And uh, so Jude wrote, and he said, I was going to write to you about our common salvation. I wanted to write this book just enjoying the salvation that we had, but I felt compelled to write to you about pursuing the truth instead because this has become a real problem. And Jude, in, the sum, in a summary way, we won't turn there, but he said false teachers are, going to, are, are here now. This is happening. And they're going to do four things. They're going to introduce destructive heresies, which we've talked about. They're going to deny the master who created them. They're going to exploit you, use you for their own selfish purposes. And also, the way of truth will be maligned, he said. In other words, the reputation of the Christian church will be, uh, will be damaged because of the behavior of the Christians who are influenced by this philosophy. He said, that's going to happen. And, and because that is happening, Jude said, I'm writing this book again to remind you that this is true and that you've got to stay away from those things. Okay, well... With that as an introduction, we'll, well, let's look at, at Second Peter. When you read this through, and I've read it a number of times, there are a number of ideas that seem to be there. Uh, there are words that we're familiar with. Um, but when you put it into the context of what Peter was trying to do, it, it begins to make sense in two different ways. Peter is saying, if you will be obedient... To the, to the truth of God, two things are going to happen. Okay, and we'll look at this in Scripture. Two things are going to happen. Your life is going to be characterized by grace and peace. That's one. And the second thing is that you're going to grow up to be like the Lord. That's the second thing that's going to happen. And so we're going to take these Scriptures and go through them one by one. There are only 12, so it won't take long. And, and see how this works, see how this really works out. This is something we can hang on to, very practical, something we can practice it's uh, not only the truth of God in terms of being the ideas, but it's, uh, it's the way we ought to live, and it's, it's a way that's very possible to live. So let's look at it verse by verse, and we'll see what Peter has to say. He wrote first in verse 1, "...to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ." And we've, you and I, we have talked briefly about the fact that we can create God in our own mind. And we can create any God we want to in our own mind, make him like anything we want to make him like. Now, that is not the true God. He's not alive. He's in our head. But um, he's writing to people who have a faith that's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Okay? People who have the same faith that we do. We were sinners. We were separated from God because of our sin. God sent his son to die and pay the penalty for our sin. And if we accept his work as our salvation, then we can have the life of God and be a child of God. He's writing to those people who said, yes, I want that. You know, I'll commit to that. And they became Christians. And so that's who he's writing to, people who have the same faith as he does, as the scriptures present. The next thing he says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Let's take a look at that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, what we're looking at here 
Uh, let me tell you about an arithmetic progression and a geometric progression, okay? And what, Paul, or what Peter is talking about is a geometric progression. This is what I'm talking about. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Not that you would just have some of that. And grace and peace are extremely desirable. People are hungry for grace and for peace. Let's talk about what they are, and then we'll talk about this geometric progression thing. Grace is our experience of the love of God, okay? It's really our experience of anybody's love. When you go to someone's home, and they've graciously invited you to come over and have dinner, um, you are experiencing their love when they come. They give you a good meal. It's a great time together. It's an encouraging thing, and so on. You're experiencing their love. In our relationship with God, when we experience his love in any way, shape, or form, we're experiencing his grace. So grace is the experience of the love of God. Peace is something... Well, the dictionary defines it in three different kinds of situations. Peace is a calmness that comes from knowing that certain things are true. And as you know, uh, in your work situation and so on, if you know people who don't know the Lord, and we struggle with this too, having peace in our own Christian life when things happen that are very negative. Peace is defined in three different ways. It can be serenity. You're sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair at 72 degrees. You just had a great meal. You're sitting there with your eyes kind of half, half closed. And everything is lovely. Life is good. It doesn't get any better than that. That's peace. Okay. Now, but life isn't always like that. We have to move off the front porch and go and meet and deal and do business in the world. And uh, sometimes we get real busy. I've told you, I think, before about my son who's in college now. Uh, He takes a lot of hours every semester and does very well. But every time I see him, he's got a book in his hand. And uh, he's studying. He's very busy. So it isn't the front porch situation for him. He's very busy, but all the pieces of his life are positive. Everything's going well, and uh, all the pieces of his life are fitting together. We're talking about harmony there, okay? So even though we're very busy, it's not the front porch, we can have harmony in our life and experience peace. Now, the other situation, I I think of Vietnam when I think about a war-type situation, um, the other situation is when some terrible negative things are happening in our lives. And it could be war, it could be the death of someone we know, a serious illness of someone we're close to, or whatever. But things are not in harmony in that situation. Uh, you know, if you're in a war situation, those people are trying to kill you. Uh, if you're in a situation with, with uh, ill health and so on, uh, there's a danger that someone you love may die. And so things are not in harmony but they can still fit together according to the plan of God if you recognize the provision of God in your life. And there we're talking about integrity, okay? All the pieces of your life still fit together even though it's not harmony. So we won't spend a lot of time with that, but peace is something, peace is something that people crave. It's, it's an extremely valuable thing in our lives. And if you have a certain measure of peace in your life, people will notice that because people tend to try to control their lives I mean, we all try to control our lives and uh, to have some control to make things go as well as possible. But there are a lot of things that are bigger than we are that we can't control. And when we're able to give those to God and say, I know you bring me my life a day at a time, this is a part of that, and look for ways that we can respond to bring glory to God and to produce personal growth in ourselves to go up like the Lord, then we can experience peace even in negative situations. Okay? So, Peter is saying... Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And this is the idea. I collect pennies. 
not because they're worth anything, but it's just kind of a kick. I started it years ago. I've got a big glass water bottle at home, the kind that used to be on, on water machines, water dispensers, before we all went to plastic. Anyway, it's a cool bottle, and, and it's a five-gallon bottle. And uh, years ago, I started collecting pennies just because it was a kick. You find them everywhere, on the street and everything like this. And I have pennies from Florida, and I have pennies from all over the place. When I see them on, on the ground, I don't stop for nickels, but I'll stop every time for a penny. And I bring them home, throw them in the jar, and so I've got pennies from all over the place. Now, if someone told me, I am going to give you a penny an hour for the rest of your life, it's okay, but it's not a big deal. So I get 24 pennies a day, right, for the rest of my life. And if I save them all my life, at the end, I might be able to do something nice. But if somebody said, now I'm going to give you a penny this hour, but next hour I'm going to give you two. And then the next hour I'm going to give you four pennies. And after that, you're going to get eight. And pretty soon, by the end of a day, I'd be making well over a dollar a day. And, and you can see by pursuing that idea that pennies would be multiplied to me. Pretty soon I'd be a wealthy man based on pennies, okay? And what Peter is saying, he said, I don't want you just to have a little bit of grace and peace. I mean, that'd be good. That'd be a good thing. But what I want to do is have grace and peace multiplied to you so that pretty soon you're wealthy in grace and peace. Pretty soon your life is remarkable in terms of grace and peace because because you experience the love of God, the grace of God, and because you know your life is grounded in the Lord, and you experience peace, you're going to be a remarkable person. People are going to look at you and say, wow, what have you got that I don't have? You know, And so, you're going to be a remarkable person. Peter says, that's what I want for you. And let me show you what it's based on. It's not just a good idea. It's based on something very real. <clears throat> Verse 3, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Okay. Now, Peter, we'll see why here pretty soon, but Peter is taking the position that God has granted to us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Now, what that means is that everything, by definition, everything we need to pursue our life, as long as we're alive, and everything we need to pursue our spiritual relationship with God, we have. God has given us those things. Now, we can always imagine that we'd want something more. So Peter isn't saying God is going to give you everything you want. No good parent gives you everything you want. Okay? But he gives us everything we need. And Peter is saying, by definition, regardless of your situation, regardless of your situation, you might be starving to death, you might be dying, whatever, God has given you in this present circumstance, day by day, moment by moment, everything you need for your life, and it won't last forever here, we know that. But as long as you're here, he's given you everything you need for your life and for godliness to pursue your relationship with him. So it's helpful to know that in whatever situation you find yourself, by definition, you have everything you need. And you don't have to thrash around trying to pursue other things that you want in that situation. You can relax. You can affirm your life day by day as God brings it to you, like Epaphras prayed. Be fully assured in all the will of God concerning you. And that produces a remarkable peace in your life. Okay, so point number one. If we understand and obey the truth of God, we can have grace and peace multiplied to us. We can be wealthy in grace and peace. 
Okay, that's a real deal. It's not just a good idea. It's not just good theory. You can die a happy person, even though it hurts, if you understand that this is true. Okay? All right, that's point number one. Grace and peace can be multiplied to you. The second point is, uh, begins in verse 4. And that's that you're, you can grow up to be a person who is like God. For by these... Um, Okay, yes. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. What he's saying is that God has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. He's given us his word, and so we have this information about what God wants for us and what he's providing for us. I've read before, I've never counted them, but I've read before that there are approximately 30,000 promises in the Word of God that come directly from God to us. And if we, as we begin to understand what those, what those are, I will never leave you or forsake you, things like that, we can begin to know the heart of God in terms of his own relationship with us. Based on that information about God, if we respond to that, if we respond to that relationship and follow that, we can grow up to be like God. And Peter says, I'm going to show you how to do that. And that comes in the next several verses. Verse 5, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith. So what he says first, this is going to be hard work. You're not going to be able to do this just casually. But if you work at this, something's going to happen. Now based on the faith that you already have, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Okay. Now, let's have a look at that. That's how to grow up to be a person who is like God. Let's take a look at that. The first thing he says, based on the faith that you already have, supply moral excellence. In other words, live a moral life. And the importance of that on the front end here is he's saying don't destroy yourself. Don't go do the things that will destroy you. And so there are, certain, there are a few things, not a lot of things, but there are a few things you ought to just stay out of. Because if you go there, and you have the freedom to go there, we all do, if you go there, you're going to damage yourself. And you're going to have to recover from that. Okay? So he says, don't do that. Just live a moral life and don't shoot yourself in the foot, basically. And then to your moral excellence, you add knowledge. So he's saying, study the Word of God. Find out what God has written in His Word, what He's saying to us about His relationship with us. Just, just read the book and find out what's in there. And in your knowledge, after you've done that, add self-control. In other words, focus on obedience. Okay? Now, we can all approach our life fairly casually or fairly aggressively. And my encouragement to you is to approach your Christian life aggressively. We have a young man at our church, and uh, I enjoy him. We, we talk every Sunday when we get together, and, and uh, I ask him how he is. And he always starts out, oh, not bad. And uh, I ask him sometimes, what would it take you to move to good? You know, what, what would be required to move to good? And uh, I told him to think about that, and we'll talk about that sometime, because there's a continuance, there's a, con- a continuum that we can approach our life on. You know, there's the, the rotten end, here, oh, I'm awful, I'm terrible. And there's the not bad, and then there's the okay. 
and then there's pretty good, and then there's real good, and then there's Mach 2 with your hair on fire, you know. And what I'm encouraging you to do is move toward that end of the continuum. So you're really pursuing your Christian life. And what we don't want to do, you know, we, you can read and you can understand how to stay out of morality. And you can understand you're supposed to love your neighbor and, and be kind to people that you associate with and so on. And you can operate according to those rules that God has given us anywhere along that continuum. But to the extent that you move, that you move toward the positive end and start getting close to Mach 2 with your hair on fire, where you're really interested in reading the Word of God, finding out what God has for you, and saying, yeah, I want that. I'm going to pursue that. He tells me to do this. Okay, I'll practice that. I'll do that. Then you're going to grow up in a hurry. It's like, just like good food, vitamins and minerals. It'll really make you grow as fast as you can. Okay. So, uh, self-control is just uh, be intentional, be focused on obedience. And then he talks in terms, and to your self-control, add perseverance. That just means stay with it. On good days, when everything is great, life is good, doesn't get any better than that, we don't have a lot of problem understanding that God loves us. But on days when everything goes wrong, and sometimes things go terribly wrong, then sometimes we wonder, I wonder if he really does love me, you know. And he does. He hasn't changed a bit. But we need to recognize that he does and just hang on to that. That's what perseverance is all about, operating the same way, whatever circumstances we have. And then to your perseverance, add godliness. Now, godliness is simply imitating God. If, you, if We talked about moral excellence first. That's just staying out of the bad stuff. Godliness is just getting right into the good stuff. So just imitate God in your life and do things like he would do. And to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Okay, so if we pursue this, we get to the point where we can begin associating with our peers brothers, sisters in the Lord, people at work, we can begin associating with people on a fairly positive basis, even though they're rotten people sometimes, or have rotten things about them, okay? So this, this is the kind of thing that enables you to love your enemy and to treat him well. We're not required to like people. We don't have to like everything about everybody because some things are rotten. They're not likable. But we are required to love them in terms of treating them well, okay? So if we pursue this, we get to the point where we can begin doing that more and more all the time. And then eventually, if we pursue this, we get to the point where we have a nature that's like God, where we're consistently loving. And that's what God is trying to do in our life. Okay. So the two points that Peter is making here is that you can be wealthy in terms of grace and peace, which makes all the difference between night and day in your own personal life and your testimony, And you can grow up to be like God, and this is how to do it, Peter says. So those are the two points he's making. Now, he wraps up this whole thing, and we will too, by saying a few other things in the remaining verses. In verse 8, he says, For if these qualities, what we're talking about, are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. And the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's interesting. Why didn't Peter say that positively and talk in terms of being useful and fruitful? But he says it will render you neither useless nor unfruitful. And I think what Peter was talking about, I think he had a broken heart. He had seen more than one uh, person who was useless and unfruitful because he hadn't followed what we're talking about here. They'd begun following Gnosticism, and it was breaking his heart. He saw people who were useless and unfruitful because of their sin. They had decided not to obey the Word of God. But he says to anybody who will listen, if you keep these things in mind, you're going to be useful and fruitful 
It's in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you pay attention to the truth of God and obey it, you'll be useful and fruitful. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So if you don't do this, Peter is saying, you're blind, basically, or short-sighted. Now, I am short-sighted. And fortunately, I live in a day when glasses are available. And so I'm able to function very well with 20-20 vision. But if I didn't have glasses, I would be limited, not terribly, but somewhat limited in very real ways in what I could do. And uh, that's exactly what Peter is saying. If you, don't, if you don't pursue these principles aggressively in your own Christian life, then you're blind. If you don't pursue them at all, you're blind. You just don't see anything. Uh, but you could be nearsighted, too. If you pursue them just kind of half-heartedly, that means you don't really understand what's going on. It's like you have short, it's like you have short vision. You're limited in your performance. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, in verse 10, to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, he's talking about stumbling, and you remember Epaphras was interested in that idea. He talked about uh, standing and not falling down in, in their Christian walk. So he's, he's saying, if you don't keep these things in mind... Well, let's say it positively, the way he did. If you do keep these things in mind, you won't stumble. Now, we can't live a perfect Christian life. We sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And that continues even after we're saved. Now, the whole process of sanctification is we grow up to be like the Lord. We do that less and less. That's the idea. We're growing up to maturity. But we still fail. But what he's talking about is really making a mess of things, stumbling badly, making a terrible choice that just is damaging to the relationships of the people that you love and your own Christian testimony and so on. He said, if you keep these things in mind, you won't do that. You won't go there. And the other thing that happens is that when you enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your entrance will be abundantly supplied to you. Okay, you know, we don't have time to look at the scriptures now, but you know that we're going to be rewarded for what we do for the Lord. There's going to be a judgment of our life. We're going to have a one-on-one conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to examine our life and reward us for what we did well. Okay, now, when we enter eternity, and this occurs, we can either have great reward if we're faithful and hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or, I don't know, the scripture doesn't give us any other words he might use, but the idea might be, well, I'm glad you made it. You know, you're saved. I'm glad to see you here, uh, but you just lost most of your life. I have a relative, uh, somewhat older than I, he's already died, who uh, became a believer fairly young, had a good start, then made some foolish decisions, destroyed his life, uh, lived most of it in a destroyed way. And uh, then came to the time when he was going to die. And he died reasonably slowly over several months, and so he had a lot of time to think. And he said his one regret was that he did not live. Hmm. He did not live for the Lord. That was the one thing he regretted most about his life. He threw away the time that he had instead of living for the Lord. And I can guarantee you, based on my experience with him and with other people, that all of us will reach that decision. Okay? We will, all, we will all decide that living for the Lord really is what matters. Now, we can decide that early on and save all that grief and pain, or we can decide it later 
and suffer loss and suffer the experience of that loss. Okay? So, what Peter is saying is if you keep these things in mind, you will not stumble and make a muck of your life and just ruin everything. Uh, and you will, when you enter eternity, you'll enter, it, uh, you'll enter it abundantly. You'll have great reward, and the Lord Jesus Christ will, will give you that reward. So we have that choice to make. Okay, now we'll wrap up here. <clears throat> Turn to chapter 3. We'll look at a couple other verses, and then we'll, we'll wrap. Three sixteen. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're kind of picking up in the middle of an argument. But for the sake of time, I won't develop this. I just wanted to show you something. Sixteen says, as also in all his letters, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. So he's, he's saying the untaught, the people who don't bother to pursue the truth of God and learn what it is, and the unstable, the ones who just decide not to pursue it, uh, distort these things that we're talking about and also the rest of Scripture, and they do that to their own destruction, he says. So that's the effect of that. And then in verse 18, here's his last encouragement, "...but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now to the day of eternity. Amen." His encouragement is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the encouragement that I would leave you with. What what Peter is saying in this short passage is that two wonderful things are entirely possible. William MacDonald is is fond of saying is that God will not make us holy against our will or without our involvement. He won't just put that on us. Now, if we are saved, he will take us to heaven. But it is true that we could suffer loss. So, this whole process of growing up to be like Christ is really up to us. We have an option. God has given us that freedom. So God will not make us holy against our will or without our involvement. And what, what Peter is saying in Second Peter is that grace and peace, can, you can be rich in grace and peace, and you can grow up to be like the Lord. And he's given us very detailed, concrete instructions about how to do that. And if we do that, that will happen. That's what he's guaranteeing us. Okay? Well, it's time to wrap, and let's do that. But uh, do be encouraged and to continue to grow up in the grace of the Lord, the experience of his love, and in his knowledge. Read your Bibles and uh, do it regularly and find out what God has for you, what that uh, wonderful relationship can be. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do bow and worship before you because we know who you are. We thank you uh, so much for giving us your truth. Uh, This Bible that we have is your written letter to us to tell us who you are and what you have for us. We do appreciate the fact that we have freedom, and we're glad about that. You've made us to be like you. We can make choices. But help us to be wise, and that's the encouragement of Peter. The encouragement of your word here in this portion is for us to... Go ahead and read our Bibles. Read this word that you have given us so that we know what you have in mind for us. We can experience the grace and the peace that you have for us, which are remarkable, and we can grow up to be like you, which is also remarkable. So do encourage us in that. Do keep it in our minds. Do help us be wise and make that choice, we pray. Thanks for the time this morning to spend in your word together. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.